0: Okay, beautiful. Title of the message this morning is on the screen there, Our Day in Prophecy. Um, I was born in the largest city in the state of Connecticut, uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, My family and I lived there um, for a few years. uh, Then we moved to a suburb of the city. But uh, I was the youngest of three boys, and things were very different back then. Um, I remember walking those busy city streets with my older brother. He was about 18 months older than I, and at the time I was about five or six, Um, and I'm not quite sure where we were going, Um, but I remember coming to the realization that at some point in our journey through this very busy city uh, that I didn't know where we were Uh, where we were going, how we were getting home. So we were lost. And every street in the city, uh, at least in the uh, vast majority of the city, the houses were all the same. They were all these Georgian-style homes, uh, three-story homes. They were all identical except for color. They had little postage stamp lots with a little strip of grass in between each house. I, it wasn't like, oh, I remember this or I remember that because everything was the same. And the traffic was heavy. I can remember the, the heavy equipment roaring by, the noise, the, uh, the, the horns being honked, and this uncertainty that I had, this worry mm-hmm. of not knowing where I was or where I was going. All of that running through my little five- or six-year-old mind. Um, at some point, we managed to get home. I don't remember how that happened. I, I often wondered what my parents were thinking as I got older. Um, and, and, you know, it occurred to me that, you know, it may have been as simple as them wanting their kids to be accustomed to the city. You know, my dad grew up there in that city. Uh, my grandparents came uh, to Ellis Island from Italy. And so that's all my dad knew was city living. Um, thrown to the wolves at that point. That's what I felt like, you know. But, you know, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we cannot have a Christian experience like the one I just described as a little boy, not knowing where I was, where I was going, that uncertainty, that worry. We can't have that. We should have confidence knowing who we are uh, as Christians where we came from, where we're going, um, where we are in the timeline of Bible prophecy, what our course is, what the Lord expects of us, what we are to do, and finally, what is next for us. Let's pray. Loving Father, we uh, are thankful that we're free in this country to uh, come together and read your word and to pray and to worship without any persecution. Uh, we don't take that for granted, Lord. Um, but as we uh, open your word this morning, as we consider this topic, uh, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds. I pray, Lord, that you'll speak through me, uh, that you'll be honored and glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Amos, uh, you're familiar with this, it says, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants. The Prophets, do you believe that we are on the brink of major events in our world? I mean, even if you're just uh, superficially looking at the news, um, you should be able to tell that things are really a mess. You know, Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, "Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken." And this is happening. There's a lot of fear in the world. The Lord has told us not to, uh, to have that spirit of fear. Um, but there's a lot of fear because people are uncertain about what's happening, what is going to happen. Uh, and we can get caught up in that. Sometimes a media fast is a good idea. You know, stop listening to that news. It's all bad. <clears throat> But the the positive thing is that the Lord is not going to leave us in the dark about things that are important. Um, He's going to communicate to the earnest seeker before it happens. Those things that are of significance, right? If it's significant, he wants us to know if we're earnestly seeking. And so he has revealed those things. Those secret things that we need to know living on the brink of eternity. So I invite you to go to Daniel chapter 2. There's some Bibles there in the pews. If you don't have one, I encourage you to go there. I'm going to read quite a few verses, so um, I'd like you to join me. Daniel chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1. And let me know when you're there. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, Bible says, And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. So you get this picture that the king has this dream he can't really remember it his mind his heart are troubled he knows it's significant he needs to understand it and he has these people uh, in his uh, kingdom that have been on the payroll for a very long time and the bible says uh, magicians astrologers sorcerers and chaldeans and if you when you look at uh, those words in the original language they're also defined as horoscopists, that would be a magician, uh, one who draws lines and circles, uh, enchanters, conjurers, witches, and types of astrologers, those that look at the stars and, and try to get answers. So they're on the payroll, and the, and the, kingdom, the king needs them now. And so he calls them forward. And in verse 3, the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then he spake the Chaldeans to the king. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servant the dream, and we will show the interpretation. So they have no way of telling what the dream is, but they can lie to the king. They can make up an interpretation. So they want to know, tell us the dream. And The king answers in verse 5, and he says, Uh, to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a dunghill. He doesn't have much patience, right? And and they've been on the payroll for a long time. And now when he really needs them, perhaps the first time he's needed them uh, in a significant way, they're not able to do the job. And so he's very angry. But if ye show the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servant the dream, and we shall we will show the interpretation of it. And the king answered and said, I know of a certainty that ye would gain the time, because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation thereof. See, if they can't tell the dream, he cannot trust the interpretation. That makes sense, right? Because he has no way otherwise of knowing if the interpretation is uh, adequate and accurate. You know, the Bible says um, that God reveals the deep and secret things right? He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. So the God's the revealer of secrets, um, and we're going to see that. It's very, very important, actually, that we look at this. So let's uh, let's jump down to um, verse 18 in Daniel chapter 2. So uh, Daniel is considered one of the wise men, even though he wasn't a witch or an astrologer or a sorcerer, okay? Um, and so he is also listed as one of those that will lose his life. Um, he asks for time, he gets time, um, they pray, and we're in verse 18, um, or actually 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And notice this, And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the sea. The deep and secret things he knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light and the light dwelleth with him. And then he goes on to thank God. And Daniel goes before the king. And I love the fact that, and we can't read the whole chapter. We're going to read a lot of it, but you know, Daniel gives God the glory. And it's interesting because um, Arioch brings Daniel to uh, the king, and he says, "I have found a man who can interpret." Ariac did nothing. <clears throat> he didn't do a thing, but he was trying to take credit for it. But when Daniel is presented with this, can you show me the, tell me the dream and interpretation? Daniel says, I can't do it. God of heaven can do it. Gives God the glory. And then we're in verse 29, chapter 2. Are you there? As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? In other words, those thoughts are about the future. And he that revealeth secrets, who's that? God, maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. So he's not taking credit. He says, this is important for you to understand and for the rest of the world, as we'll see. Verse 31, thou king saw... And behold, a great image, this great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and arms of silver, his belly and thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver... And the gold broke into pieces together, and it became like chaff on the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. So God is the revealer of secrets. He's all-knowing, and he has revealed the history of the kingdoms of the world from Babylon until The coming of Jesus. And he did this centuries before these things happened. And these texts are the the texts that galvanized my my faith and brought me into this uh, denomination many years ago. Um, I believe the same for my wife, but I don't want to totally speak for her. So God saw that Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon would during its trial, because remember we read that God sets up kings and he takes them down. He sets them up and he takes them down. And so Babylon would, during its trial, fail to honor and exalt the Creator God. And as a result of that failure, the glory of Babylon would fail. And then we have the successive kingdoms. They all did likewise. So we're very close to the very glorious event described there of that stone that strikes the image and destroys all the earthly kingdoms because that is depicting Christ setting up his earthly kingdom. So if you look at the uh, slide that's up there, Babylon, October 13th, 539, Babylon comes to an end uh, at the hands of Cyrus the Mede. And then in 331, Alexander the Great, at the age of 23, he defeats Darius III. June twenty second, one 168, the Roman Empire succeeds the Greeks and becomes the fourth world empire. And then history tells us that Rome disintegrates into smaller kingdoms, and we know them today as the nations of Europe. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon its feet that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces." So this image is an image of the world kingdoms crumbling to nothingness at the coming of Jesus to this earth. We don't have to worry about China or North Korea or Russia becoming a world kingdom. You don't have to worry about that. So imagine for a moment that you're Daniel and you're back, you know, five, six hundred years B.C. in the kingdom of Babylon And God reveals to you, Daniel, the king's dream and its interpretation, and as you have time to uh, mold this over in your minds, you realize that you are thousands of years, about 2,500 years from Jesus setting up his kingdom. Imagine that, what what that must have felt like in his gut as he recognizes, wow, wow. Boy, there's a lot of time between now and when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom. But what about you and me? Do we really believe the prophecies of the Bible? Do you believe that we're living in the last moments before the Lord returns? You know, we should have a sense of urgency if we said yes to that. Really. Really. When you look at current events and you look at prophecy, prophecy has traced the rise and fall of the world's empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. With each of these, as with nations of less power, history repeated itself. Each had its period of test, each failed. Its glory faded, its power departed, and its place was occupied by another, while the nations rejected God's principles. And in this rejection wrought their own ruin. It was still manifest that the divine overruling purpose was working through all their movements. So let me ask you this, with that uh, quote in mind. Who represents, in the greatest sense, a nation? I would say the leadership of the nation, right? I mean, the people, they represent the nation, of course. But in the greatest extent, the leaders of a nation represent the nation, right? And that list of leaders could be pretty long, right? Um, And let me ask you this. Have the leaders of this nation and really every other nation uh, in the world, have they rejected or embraced the principles of God? Absolutely rejected. That's absolutely correct. So this world, this nation that we love, is on the brink of ruin. Not because I say so, but because the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy declare that, right? And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. That's the good news. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms... And it shall stand forever. So in the days of these kings, in other words, in the time in which we're living, because we're down in the toes of that statue, right? We're right down there at the end. And the weak or the fragile mixed with the strong and the brutal. Remember, they're kingdoms. They represent kingdoms. The Lord is going to come. And, and this understanding is important. Uh, this verse, I think, really speaks volumes. This is from First Chronicles. And the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the what? Of the times to know what Israel ought to do. So the children of Issachar, they had a right understanding of the times. And as a result, as God's chosen people, they knew what they should do. And we are spiritual Israel. We're God's chosen people. We should know what we're supposed to do. And in order for us to do that, we must understand the times. We must understand the prophecies. We must be able to place ourselves in the prophetic time chart, right where we're supposed to be. Then we'll be able to understand better what we are supposed to do. I don't know how well you can see this, um, but inspiration tells us that the 2300-day prophecy is the longest and last Bible prophecy. And this, this slide depicts uh, in great detail the 2300-year prophecy. And, you know, it begins there in 457 B.C. with the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And you can read about that in Ezra chapter 7. talks about uh, rebuilding Jerusalem in 408 B.C., uh, the seven weeks, the 70 weeks, or the 490 years, um, Jesus being anointed as Messiah at his baptism uh, at the end of the 62 weeks in uh, A.D. 27, and then that one-week prophetic period where Jesus is cut off in the midst of the week, A.D. 31, uh, the death of Jesus, and then the gospel going to the Gentiles in A.D. 34 when Stephen is stoned, stone. Christians are scattered, Jewish probation ends. And then the gospel is preached to the Gentiles. Now, not on this chart is uh, the 1260 years of papal persecution, but you can slide it in there and know that God's people are being persecuted. And then we this chart ends at A.D. 1844, where the judgment in heaven begins. You can read about that. In Daniel 8, chapter 8, uh, verses 13 and 14. And so uh, we want to be able to place ourselves in prophetic time. We are beyond 1844. And this is the longest and last Bible prophecy, we're told. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, we're in Revelation chapter 10 now. um, And you can go there. I invite you to go there. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, that is, that seventh angel, the mystery of God should be finished. And the mystery, if we had time to study it, is the gospel of Jesus. Uh, As he hath declared to his servants the prophets, and the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, we're in verse 8 of Revelation 10. Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. Now, I want to back up for a second. What number angel is this? Oh, It actually doesn't show up back there when I back up. It's a seventh angel, right? There's not an eighth angel, okay? And seven is complete. This is just like the seventh church, the church of Laodicea. There, there's not going to be another one. Okay, so clearly from... Uh, from Bible prophecy. And if you've got your Bibles open and you look there in Revelation 10 and verse 7, it says, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. So the gospel is reaching the whole world And then we're in verse 8 now. It says, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of that seventh angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. Now this is Bible prophecy. Verse 10, And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. This describes actually very clearly the experience that we see um, at the end of this prophetic chart. The experience that took place October twenty second, 1844. See, they had these dates correct. God's people from many different denominations. The Adventist church didn't become an official denomination until 1863. So these were folks from multiple denominations, and God revealed to them, and they came to a correct understanding of dates and events, except for what took place there in A.D. 1844? They thought that Jesus was coming back to take his faithful ones to heaven. And so as they're studying the prophecies, as God is revealing the prophecies to them, it is sweet as honey in their mouths. They're like, wow, this is wonderful. You know, as you study the book of Daniel and Revelation, you get to a place, hopefully, where you're like, wow, I can trust the entirety of this book. For the first time, I have something that I can anchor uh, life on. I know this is truth. And then you start to share it, and, and as, you, as God reveals things, you come to understand, wow, God is revealing all of the kingdoms. He, he is letting us know all of the successive kingdoms right up until the end of time, and then Jesus is going to come, and it's exciting, and they're sharing it, and they're filling tents with four and 5,000 people at a time, and it's just A beautiful experience, and God is revealing Bible doctrines to these people. They're learning about the seventh-day Sabbath, and this is sweet. Jesus is coming soon, and when he didn't come, it was bitter. It was a bitter disappointment. It was a bitter disappointment, but they had these dates right, and they had many of the events on here correct as well. It was sweet as honey as they shared the good news, but when Jesus didn't come, it was a bitter experience. And that bitter experience actually grew for a time because they estimate there was about hundred to 150,000 Adventists. In other words, people from all denominations waiting for the advent of Jesus. And when he didn't come and they experienced a bitter disappointment, they were left with about 50 people. And that hurts. Imagine if this denomination was reduced uh, to like 10 people everyone else left. That'd be a bitter experience, a bitter disappointment. So this is what happened. This is the fulfillment. We have seen, and we look at history, we see another fulfillment of of Bible prophecy. We've actually taken a magnifying glass now. and We've zoomed in on what took place in 1844. Actually powerful. Verse 11 in chapter 10, very important. And he sent it to me, speaking to God's people, after this bitter experience, that includes us. He said it to me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. You know, when this disappointment happened, the headlines of the newspapers were not good. Boy, did they make fun of those people that said that Jesus was coming. Some of them sold their farms. Um, Some of them left their crops in the fields. Um, They were certain that Jesus was coming. And the Lord said, you must not give up. You must prophesy again. And we find ourselves here many years later, and that is our call, to prophesy again, to say, hey, yeah, a mistake was made in the interpretation of the event. But the dates are correct. God has revealed to us that it was not Jesus coming to cleanse the earth, but Jesus going into the most holy place to cleanse the record of sin, which which we call the the judgment. So the disappointed ones they studied, God revealed to them their error. Um, Jesus didn't come to the earth. He went into the most holy place of the sanctuary to do the closing work that the high priest does. And so they shared this truth. They continue to share this truth. um, and here we are. This is our day in prophecy. That's what we're looking at today. And so the Lord has grown this group of 50 people. It actually was a purification of the core of the denomination. And it's grown to some 20 or 21 million um, people today. Uh, that's a very small number in Christianity uh, when you consider that the Church of Rome has over a billion members. It's a small number. But. As you look at Bible uh, examples in the Old Testament, God can use a small number of people to do great things. A- a- and that way, uh, he gets the glory. We don't, right? If we had an army of workers, you know, several billion strong, we could, you know, we could get the gospel to the whole world and we could take credit for it. But he says, no, it's going to be a small group. It'll be a small group. Just like with Gideon, Right? So we must prophesy again to many peoples, nations, and kings. It's our duty. It's really our purpose. It's our calling. And then ask yourself, how are you doing with that? Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Praise the Lord for that, right? He doesn't change. He's perfect. He's all-knowing. He reveals secrets to us. He lets us know the things we need to know that are of significance, he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. I hope that these verses galvanize your faith. I hope that you'll spend some time studying the book of Daniel. Um, And again, I love, Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon its feet that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. So those feet of iron and clay, that is our world today. We have nations that are strong, that are brutal, and we have nations that are very weak. Very weak. Do we believe these prophecies? Do we believe we're living in the last moments of earth's history? Prophets and kings says, Babylon, with all its power and magnificence, the like of which our world has never since beheld, Power and magnificence, which to the people of that day seemed so stable and enduring, how completely has it passed away? So consider our great nation, once great nation. I love the United States, but our nation was once a great nation. Uh, At a time just a few years ago, the United States was the sole superpower of the world. Our nation was financially stable. We were first to aid a country in need or a cause in need. Just, boom, United States, they're going to do it, right? But no longer. Our nation has become weak militarily, morally, financially. In just a few years, things have changed dramatically from where we used to be. And prophecy has shown us what eventually happens to a nation that rejects God and His principles. And when the USA fails, and it's failing, there will not be another earthly nation that's going to raise up, rise up supreme. It's not going to happen. It's going to be the kingdom of God that's going to come. He's going to lay waste to all of these nations that have rejected Him, killing the innocent unborn by the millions and taking your tax dollars and paying for it. That in itself is worthy of destruction. It sickens me. It does. And there's not a whole lot we can do about it. We can speak out against it. I hope you do. So the kingdom of God is going to come and his kingdom is going to stand forever. It's not going to pass away. As the flowers of the grass, it has perished. It's a quote from James chapter 1. And so perishes all that has not God for its foundation. All that has not God for its foundation. That's the key. There is not a nation on this earth that has God for its foundation any longer. I mean, we could say that we're a Christian nation, but our example, what are our leaders doing? What are our tax dollars paying for? What is important to this nation is not godly. And I love the United States, and I would die for the United States, but... I'm just telling you the facts of what's happening and fitting it together with Bible prophecy. Jesus is coming soon. He has to come soon. Only that which is bound up with his purpose and expresses his character can endure. So, do we, do you, have God as your foundation? Really, because it begins with the individual, right? It begins with me, and then you as an individual. And collectively, we can do great things for God, right? Individually, we can do great things for God. We hear those testimonies. Have you asked God to impart his character in place of yours? Do you have a renewed understanding um, of your identity as a Christian today? Do you see in the timeline of prophecy where we are? We're beyond 1844. That was the longest and last Bible prophecy. We're to just take a magnifying glass now and look at the little details like we'd looked at in Revelation chapter 10 and then recognize, wow, we are at the end. Where do we find ourselves today? We find ourselves in the judgment hour, the antitypical day of atonement. Uh, We need Jesus more than ever Um, because he's cleansing uh, the record of sin. He's blotting it out. The Bible describes it that way, blotting out the record of sin. Now, in order for him to blot out your record of sin, my record of sin, it must be there, which means we're humbling ourselves before God. We're admitting our weakness. We're, We're bringing those sins to him. So that He can cleanse us. He can forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then He can blot out that record of sin. That's the goal. He doesn't want any to perish. When the books of Daniel and Revelation are better understood, believers will have an entirely different religious experience. That has been my experience uh, from many years ago. And it can be the same for everyone here. Um, We have to continue to study uh, the prophecies of the Bible, continue to share them with people. Um, I hope that you found this very interesting. I hope you find prophecy interesting. And if you find it interesting, rest assured, your neighbor, your friend, some family members uh, alike will find it interesting too. Um, So we need to study, teach, preach. We need a relationship with Christ that is rock solid because... There is coming uh, turmoil in the church, outside the church, that is going to be impossible to withstand without that close relationship with Jesus. We have to have a a relationship with him that's ridicule-proof, discouragement-proof, persecution-proof, peer-pressure-proof, a relationship that is so dear to you that nothing, no one, will get between you and that relationship. Because, uh, you know, there's many ways that you could look at that. But uh, remember when Peter wanted to walk to Jesus on the water and the Lord said, come, right? And as long as he maintained a relationship with Jesus, he was fine. How long did it take? And he was sinking, right? And and so just imagine that uh, you're, you're having a very close relationship with Jesus right now, but two hours from now. We need to have that close relationship with Jesus, right? Because if we don't, we can sink. And Satan is looking for our, uh, for us to just separate ourselves a little bit from him, and he'll help you to sink. He's very good at it. Give you lead shoes, and you'll sink. And so we got to have that relationship. Uh, the critical spirit needs to go. We need to be heavenly minded. Be thinking about, you know, the, those things that are of most importance. So when we look at our day in prophecy, we see where we are in history, very near to the end. We see our duty. Uh, we're able to identify ourselves and say, okay, I'm a, I'm a messenger for the Lord uh, in the last days. What is the important message, right? All of those things. Um, so let's pray together. Um, and I hope that you'll make a decision today. Um to be a messenger for the Lord, to maintain those things that keep us close to him, uh, to withstand what lies ahead. Father, we love you. We're thankful that you're a forgiving, merciful, and just God, that we can come to you and uh, lay all of our sins at your feet, all of our weaknesses. None of them take you by surprise. You were aware of them. Um, They're not hidden from you. And and so, Lord, uh, we're grateful that we can come to you. We claim your promises. And Lord, we need characters fit for heaven. We want to be able to receive an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the latter rain so that we uh, will be involved in your closing end-time work. We thank you for prophecy. Uh, It is a a method that you use to give us faith in you and in your word. It can galvanize our faith if we let it. Um, We want to have an entirely different religious experience. Um, So we thank you for that. We thank you for the work the Holy Spirit is doing. We ask you to pour him out upon us. uh, And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.